Christopher Matheson is one of my favorite people to talk to. Not only is he a terrific photographer, he's, he's also funny as hell. We don't talk often, but when we do, I always come away inspired and wanting to dive a little deeper into my own work. Not too long ago, Christopher started posting images from a series he calls Behind Glass. Now, I love pretty much everything Christopher posts, but there was something about these pictures that really caught my attention. So I called him up and asked where the idea came from. And since Christopher is a pretty fastidious journaler, I expected a detailed explanation citing influences and connections to other projects. Instead, he just said, I have no idea. Wait, what now? I'm Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm talking to Christopher Matheson, and this is In Between. So, so how are how are things going creatively? How are you feeling? Uh, getting back into it. Good. Getting some stuff done. I uh, did the other day and was updating my, well, I updated my yearly project, got the photos selected for it, and I went out to do the, um, the photos for this year that I won't look at for the next, like, full year. Right. And I was like, because last year the weather was so terrible and time constraints, so I was like, okay, I'm doing, I'm setting a, a 24 frames, that's it. Mm-hmm. I get 24 frames and I'm, and I'm, I'm done. So the other day I was out and I'm counting. I'm like, okay, I'm at 12 frames. Battery died. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll take out the deck. I'll take out the spare battery. Wasn't charged. I was like, okay, 5 p.m. It's getting dark. I was like, eh, 12 frames is enough. Where does the behind glass series fit? Because I know you posted something about that, and I I love those photographs. I don't know where that fits yet because I've been I've been taking those photos and doing them more regularly, and I usually have something written in a journal right. about each collection that I do. I can't find anything anywhere. Referencing like, that collection. At all. Really? I know, like, years ago, like, I was doing doors at temples. Right. And maybe that's where it started, but... So this just sort of appeared in, in your mix, and it, and it became some sort of theme that you kept following occasionally, yeah? About... I think when i was looking through about three years ago it just like randomly cropped up wow that for some reason i decided well i, I decided to perv in someone's window <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah I that's interesting no I, I mean it's that that might be an interesting that might be an interesting angle to record about is you you are such a a fastidious planner of not not planner that's the wrong word attentive planner no, that's the planner is the wrong word. I mean, I, I, I guess part of it is planning, but you mm. you are such a fastidious sort of journaler and chronicler of ideas. It's interesting to me that you can't find any reference of this anywhere. And yet there are multiple images that sort of explore this theme, but you don't yeah, have any mention of that theme anywhere. No, because usually when I pick up on a theme, I like I go back and I look at the photos then I started jotting some ideas down of how I can make it better or anything like that. But this time, this this uh, like behind glass just kind of came out of nowhere. Right. And you find yourself still drawn to the image? I mean, are you looking at the images and going, there's still more work here to do? Or do you just take it as, as it is and kind of leave it unconscious or subconscious and let it evolve when and where it needs to? Because it sounds like it just 
it just these are themes or, or 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 compositions that just catch your eye every once in a while. It's not even a consistent theme in the rest of your body of work. No, I, I think it's just something that you I find when like walking around and you're just it's basically eye level, mm-hmm. eye level windows. Like anything on the second, like anything above the first floor, like second floor if you're across a street, or if you can get into the middle of the street to like get a a decent angle and like the with the zoom lens. Anything higher than that, the distortion is too great to fix because everything's like wonky if you hit the, like in Lightroom, if you hit the like perspective correction. Oh, right, right, right. For correcting for like uh, parallax or whatever. Yeah, everything just goes too wonky. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just things I, I guess things that I see and I guess maybe I am letting just go subconsciously, just let it go. Yeah. Are there similarities in terms of, are there compositional similarities? Are they taken roughly at the same times of day? Or is there anything that, that runs through them as, as a theme or a thread beyond the subject matter itself? I guess the only thing would be like compositional style that I, if I'm close enough, I try to include whatever's interesting in the window and like the window frame to make an L and then usually two or three inches below that to act like a second frame. Mm-hmm. So kind of like if you're like looking at like a picture frame, but you're like looking down at the corner of, at something and you still have like the picture, the mat, and then the, the, uh, the frame, I guess would be the best way that I could. That's the only compositional thing, keeping it throughout. And do you find that you're consciously looking for glass that's either modeled or frosted or, or in, in some way not clear? Or is that just what you've been, that's just what you, you, you see when you look back at the photographs? It's not conscious. Uh, majority of glass on first floor windows of residential buildings is always secu- security glass. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, very rare to find like actual clear glass. Really rare, unless the building's old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating, again, because you, you know, you and I have talked so many times about about your almost mind mapping technique of of not only keeping track of of ideas and projects, but but seeing how those ideas and projects are related to one another. You know, it's 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 interesting to watch you sort of push in and pull back on your journals because everything is connected for you. And it's either not either in journals or it's on like little like index cards. And I've searched through piles of my index cards and file folders with like other notes. And there's nothing about this project or these images that I've given any thought to. Hmm. Is there any other small body of work in in the sort of totality of your larger body of work that this has happened with? Is there any other sort of little micro themed portfolio, if you will, that that exists or or are all of the other photographs tied to ideas that you can sort of track um there's a i do have another set of images that i haven't put up and i haven't shared them anywhere yet that go with the uh recontextualized Mm. series Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that are all more or less like they're just that one i know has constraints it needs a white background and black spray paint or black whatever is used and it ones that look like handwriting that are kind of like more like symbolic like they are often part of like graffiti of someone like writing something in japanese or english letters 
But I do the same thing as the re- recontextualize. I kind of focus in on one graphic element mm-hmm. that catches my eye. And is that and, intentional or is that like the behind glass thing? Is that just sort of a byproduct of, of being present and, and it happens to catch your eye in the moment? It was a byproduct of doing the recontextualize. When I was doing those images, I had like the color stuff and this black and white stuff. Right. And when I was looking at them, the black and white ones did not fit exactly what I wanted. So I kind of set them off to the side and then started finding more of them. And then I have an idea of how I want to print them, but I haven't figured out the best way to do it yet. Mm. I'm not sure if you've ever, like in Japan, I think in, in Japan and also like in China, in some homes, in well, actually most homes, there's this one space in kind of like the one living room. It's like a little alcove. And there's usually like a, a vase and they might put like a little bit of a, like a flower or a small arrangement in that vase mm-hmm. and there's a hanging scroll that's usually like a, a poem for the season or grandpa drew or painted a picture and they hang this scroll there and it changes seasonally. Hmm. And it's usually a, I don't know, maybe 12 inch width and usually maybe about four feet long. Okay. And I would like to do these black and white images of take them and kind of reduce the image size down to about what a like a, a written character would be in ink on one of these things and just like put them down to make it look like something written in Japanese or Chinese, but it has zero meaning. Hmm. But people who don't know Chinese or Japanese will look at it and think it has meaning. Right. But in reality, it's just gibberish. Yeah. Interesting. And where do you, where do you see, do you see that as a printed series? Like you're doing sort of, you're almost curating some of the printed work. Um, do you see that as uh, you can get these as a set or would you do them individually? Do they have, do they have more meaning for you as a, as a body of work or individual pieces that stand on their own? Um, maybe as a body of work where like they're usually like families have some of them and they don't have a lot because mm-hmm. they're usually made by someone in the family. Like you just don't go to like the, you don't go to Walmart and buy these things. Right. There's usually like sentimental value for it or like it was, it was a gift originally or they're handed down like through the generation. I think like a, a set of, I could see a set of four. Mm-hmm. Are they reused from year to year or once they're used for, for that, once those seasons of that particular year are used, then they're stored and, and new ones are put up or are they, are they heirlooms in the sense that they are taken out and reused seasonally over yeah, and over? Seasonally, yeah. So the ones that would be like spring would be like they dust off the spring one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So these could be decades old in some cases. Yes. Yeah, some yeah. of them could be decades old. Wow. Wow. And then they just kind of like, they when they're stored, they just roll up. And so you had, they have these like little scroll, they're like just scroll cases that they're, that they're kept in. Do you see Japanese culture or, or a Japanese sort of aesthetic, a visual aesthetic affecting your work or was your work, is this all just you? I mean, can, can you make that distinction of where, where the culture influences your work or are you actively trying to be apart from from Japanese culture, I guess it comes down to like, do you still see yourself 
as a Westerner. You know what I mean? I think culturally, I'm still a Westerner, but photographically, I don't think I am because I started always taking photographs here for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of influence in that. But I mean, there is so much, I guess, like all the photographers I looked at were not Japanese when I first started. Right. But I think in the last little while, like, again, a project that I, I have that's not on the website yet, but I think you've probably seen it on Instagram or I've mentioned it before. I have a series of images where I just post and they're called like B-side. Right. I think, I think those there, there are, are a couple prints available of, from B-sides, aren't there? Possibly. <laughs> you have so much work up that you just, you can't even keep track anymore. <laughs> well, I have no idea what's on my prints. <laughs> I'm in the process of changing my print store as well. So, but I think the B-side one is very related to living in Japan and Japanese and Asian cultural influences. How so? Um, ha- have you watched any of that? Um, you, you have Netflix? Yes. Have you watched that Marie Kondo? simplifying your life cleaning Is that everything the, up the organizational woman that you know I, if, if it doesn't bring you joy get rid of it yeah yeah put I've, it in your hands and hold it and if it doesn't bring you joy right i've i've it. heard yeah. it a friend of ours was over for dinner the other night and said you have to watch this it's really interesting but i still haven't seen it side note most of my students think she's bullshit but <laughs> <laughs> the boots on the ground are not convinced <laughs> I had always assumed, and this is like, well, it was an assumption that Japanese houses were meticulous. Yeah, not true. They are rat's nests. See, that's our perception here is that everything is is arranged just so. Everything is, is you know, sort of fastidiously placed. That, that one room where they, like, there's often, like in a traditional house, there's like kind of a room where like guests go. And then there's like, the family rooms, right? And the family rooms in the kitchen are just usually like, if you saw some of the food that you're eating coming out of these kitchens, you'd be like, ooh, <laughs> no. <laughs> when was the last time you cut that cutting board? Wash that cutting board? Oh, <laughs> decades ago. Okay. Right, right. But kind of that, that idea of um, if you don't, if something doesn't bring you joy, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, I know one change in my photography was taking pictures of people brings me zero joy anymore. Yeah, I remember us talking about that when you when you first kind of really made that realization that I don't like this. What is it about yeah. it? What like wh- why? What's what's the is it is it a, a tension between you and the subject, or do you feel like they're a distraction from the rest of the composition? What is it? I think I basically was. I think we mentioned it before. It was just like the. Like there's a scene and I'm waiting for a person to come into the scene who fits the scene. Mm-hmm. It could be anyone. The right. person is like irrelevant. Right. They're just a prop in a sense. They're basically, basically they're just a color prop. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting for like the right color coat or like the right color, like shoes to contrast with something that's like three feet above them. And I think that's when, like when I started really thinking about it, I was just like, people just don't matter. So they don't add anything to the composition, even even waiting for the right when even when the right one shows up, is that still a distraction from the rest of the composition? Are you are you making sort of concessions going, okay, that's good enough because I need to move on? 
sometimes it became that it's like okay that that will fit and then like a week later when i'm looking at the photos i'm like no it doesn't really work like mm-hmm. a week after i actually even got to the point where i was like looking at like um what's that one famous image by um cartier Bresson, the 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 guy jumping like off the plank and kind of over oh, like over the little puddle up. thing yeah sure that could have been there's another guy i think there's another person in that frame like a little off to the side right it has me questioning is like how spontaneous is that image mm-hmm. it looks spontaneous right but he but, could have been sitting there for four hours waiting for that person or that same guy he could have been like do it again <laughs> right right do it again left leg up a little higher this time come on okay now we just got to wait for the puddle to smooth out right right and then yeah so it got me questioning like everything about street photography of when i'm now looking at people's street photography i kind of like erase the person Mm -hmm. when i'm looking at it and see what is left and i've really come to not enjoy street photography anymore for the most part okay but here's what's fascinating about about hearing that from you and and it especially with behind glass there are no people in any of those photographs but there is the evidence of people in almost every one of them so there 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 is still a relationship between people and the image even though we don't actually see people but those images by and large there like i said there's still a representation of humanness in them yeah and it had me also thinking, like, when I listened to um, one of the in-betweens with you and John, mm-hmm. and you were talking about, like, you can't really remember, like, your mother's voice. Right. Well, I think, you know what? That was John. John said he couldn't remember his mother's voice because she she has to, she had, uh, oh, oh gosh, yeah, she had the, the, esophageal, the, was it esophageal? Oh, gosh, now I don't remember. I'm sorry. But it was John who said that. Yeah. I don't but, remember my mom's face without looking okay. at a photograph. But you probably have like an item of hers that she owned. Yes, many. Okay. That's all we're left with is what people have left behind. Mm-hmm. Is just these items that represent an actual person. But the actual person is long gone. They're slowly forgotten. Right. But that item remains. And I think that's where some of these images are, where I'm going like the, the B-side images are pretty much all about that. It's like the evidence of people without the people. Interesting. So you're getting you're getting that sort of you're getting that sort of people fix, but not having to deal with people. Yeah, yeah, or 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 manage expectations around not getting the right in my my air quotes here the right person to fit the composition. You can still get evidence of them without having to see them. That's yeah. fascinating. That's really fascinating. And the fact that, again, that this that this came about with with the Behind Glass series, that this came about seemingly of its own volition without any sort of previs or preconception or direction on your part is fascinating. Well, some of the like some of the really original um, of those Behind Glass ones in my B-side project, mm-hmm. when I was going through them, because I like I'll go through Lightroom and when I see a project idea i start retitling them and i was going through the the behind glass ones because they're all just like in, in lightroom they're just tagged as windows and so when i was looking scrolling through them and saw that some of the ones from like about two years ago 
had already been titled with B-side. So they must have been, early on, they must have been just an extension of that, like, looking for evidence of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, best way to find evidence of people is looking through the windows. <laughs> without getting caught. <laughs> and without trying to make myself look like a pervert or... <laughs> So what what goes into making each of these pictures? Are you are you there kind of working that window or scene for a while or or because you've given yourself not constraints really but but the idea that you want to see one edge and a bottom or one edge and a top. You want to see that that one corner somewhere. Do you just snap that and move on or are you kind of working those scenes until something clicks? Um well it's either like either like one side or like the bottom left or bottom right. And usually something in the window catches my eye as I'm walking by. Mm-hmm. And so I'll sometimes like take a couple of step backs or cross the street to get a bit better visual. And typically I will wait until the street is empty before lifting my camera to point it at someone's window. Interesting. So you don't, wow. Okay. So not only do you not want people in the scene you don't want people in the environment when you're capturing or or when you're coming up with a composition to capture that's fascinating like you're you're removing people completely from the experience i think removing like people on wait waiting till like someone like walks by or the street's a little more deserted Mm -hmm. i think it's for me it's come to the point where the uncomfortableness of someone you're standing on a street well, you're you're a foreigner standing on a street with your camera pointed at someone's window. Right. You become slightly suspicious. Right, right. Do you still feel like a foreigner 12, 13 years on? Oh, yeah. You'll always be a foreigner. Yeah. Even to people that I know, occasionally they still will just little comment or just like say something. And it's just like, it's like they still even think that you're not really of here. Hmm. Even if you... Like if I decided for whatever god awful mental idea to like change my nationality, right? Even though I become like a Japanese, I'm not right. Air quote Japanese. You're still you'll, you'll always be the gaijin. Yeah, you'll always be the other, the mm. outsider. Yeah, it's. I'm so glad we talked about this because again, it's 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 fascinating to see the photograph that's in front of the camera and now here from you imagining the photograph that's taking place behind the camera, imagining what's going on behind the camera of you being not only intentional about what you see through the lens, but how you're seen in the environment. What's going on. Yeah. 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 Is that only with this, with regard to this body of work or do you feel that way always where you, you, you don't want people around ever? I think it's mostly like, I know for the, like doing the B side images, I occasionally have to wait cause I see, like some objects that basically say like, okay, there were people here, but there's like people milling around having a smoke. So it's like, okay, I've, I have 10 minutes. I can, I can wait them out. Mm-hmm. And so I'll wait, they leave, but like, there's still people like walking back and forth, but I just wait until they're like out of the frame, but they're always, they're, those ones, there's always people around mm-hmm. probably only the window ones where I've kind of wait until the person's like well away before I lift the camera. Right. And then again, I can get away with it the way that I use my camera. So right, yeah, you're most, for the most part. We've talked about that. You're pretty stealthy in your use of the camera. Yeah, or can be. I mean, for most things, it's pretty easy. But getting a window, you gotta. I have to bring it up to like, well, 
I don't use the eyepiece at all anymore. And so I'm still using like the, the view screen. So I got to bring the view screen up like eye level. So that means the camera is actually like the lens would be like forehead level. Right. Not exactly conspicuous. <laughs> Standing at a wall with your camera pointed at someone's window. <laughs> Muffled sound of a shower beyond. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Occasionally, and this, I know this is written in my journals somewhere that I was going to have a series of images where the images were not going to have anything in common whatsoever, but the titles were going to be what I could smell. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Because, I mean, I'm out around either like early morning, so it's breakfast, mm-hmm. lunch, or dinner, and it's like, ooh, someone's cooking fish, someone's doing this, or like, okay, I can smell like the shampoo someone's using in the shower, because the showers are usually have open windows. Right like blinded open windows so you can catch smells and i have a pretty sensitive nose to begin with so so i was going to do just a series of images of what i could smell when i took the photo what does your journal look like for this year um i'm sorry what does what does one of your journals look like for this year (laughs) come on now it's well can i tell you just as an aside christopher I am three pages away from filling, 100% filling a Moleskine journal from page one to the end. You have another one ready I, to go right after? I do. I have a, a Rhodia journal ready to go. I started this one on uh, November 5th, and I have written every day in this journal, and I will finish it the last three pages today. I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I never fill in the last three pages of a journal. <laughs> no, don't tell me that. I don't because I finally do it I and start, I'm still doing it wrong. I can't do it because if I am writing something and I and I'm on a roll and it's more than three pages, yeah, I don't want it split. Everything oh, I hear that. Okay. for that time constrained in one journal. I hear that. So yeah, don't have three pages. Just move on to the next one. Interesting. And remind me, are you still doing separate drawing and writing journals, or have you merged? sort of doodles and drawings and diagrams and flowcharts into the writing journal. So there's just one big one, one or one main um, one, I should say. I do have a doodle journal that I will occasionally take. And I have like these um, watercolor brushes, mm-hmm. like they're yeah, just like these watercolor brushes of different, different colors that some days where I just want, if I'm not going out to like take pictures or I just feel like, scribbling like a kindergarten kid on paper right i'll do that but um for the most part i've got everything in in the one journal and are you i'm looking on your site are you not doing the um like the flow charts of inspiration anymore uh or are those am i I looking in the wrong place nope those those are the ones i i still do those but they haven't been in my journal Mm mm-hmm um, I found those got hard to get done sometimes. Right. I think it was because I, I kept trying to do like two a week and it didn't really work. And then I got discouraged with it. So I kind of like, every, like so many things, you just get discouraged and let something die a slow, slow <laughs> death. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about, Willis? Are you still uh, a Rothko fan? Uh, 
fan? Is is Rothko still kind of on your radar? Yep. Okay. There's a a new show that's being mounted at the National Gallery, and uh, I don't I don't. It's not up yet. They're not done with it yet. But I wanted to get you the uh, the catalog and send it to you because I know you like his work. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I found out a few months ago that there is. I can't remember which series of uh, paintings he did. And they're supposed to go into a gallery somewhere in America, but he decided to pull them at the, like, the last minute because hmm. he didn't like the light. Yeah, I can I see that. I don't know what series it was. You know, I didn't know. Um, I asked our, our friend Michelle, who's the paper conservator at the National Gallery. She's working somehow on this. But I asked her, I said, I, I've never known this. Was Rothko trying to express some sort of existential truth or was he trying to express some sort of idea or ideology with his work? Or was it just an exploration of color that he wanted the viewer to react to? Like, I'm not going to put myself on this and tell you what I feel from it. What do you feel? And she said, absolutely the latter. His, His thing was just color and emotion and allowing the viewer to feel what he or she felt while standing in front of this piece. Well, yeah. which I, th- I think is great. I got that. I felt that early on, like it was just like, um, the thing that I got was, do you know, his optimal viewing distance? It's on some of the cards at the museum. See that? I wish they wouldn't do that. Cards at the museums. I think it gives too much information because People look at the text first and then the image and they go, right. oh, okay, yeah, that's what I'm supposed I to I see do. that. Yeah, I, of course I see that. Rather than trying to figure it out for yourself. But yeah, like the something like 31 or 29.8 centimeters. Right, right. So it basically encompasses your field of view. Yeah. So the entire canvas fills your field of view. It, and having done that, having, because there's a, there's a room in the National Gallery where it's, it's, I don't remember how 12, 15 of his pieces. And it's, it's just his work in this particular room. And it really is a different experience standing across the room, looking at two or three or four pictures altogether versus taking steps forward where you only see the one image and that's all you can concentrate on and just, and just be with it for a minute. You know, and just allow yourself to let those colors and not just those colors, but the sort of after image colors of when you blink, see how those relate to what you've just looked at. That's fascinating to me as well. Yeah, it was, I think it was last, last spring, I went to try to try a new museum and I walk into one, one room and I actually have a Rothko and that's like the first one that I can think I actually ever really saw in person. Mm-hmm. So the rest of it's all like book and like walk in the room and there's, well, there's a Lichtenstein and then there was, um, Rauschenberg. And then there was one of his, I was just like, and the room's empty. Hmm. There's like at the time in that museum, I was the only patron in the museum. Wow. Wow. Isn't that a great feeling having just, I've I've never had an entire museum to myself, but I have had a room to myself. And I, I kind of love that. I kind of love just having that space to myself to be with the art. Yeah. I I mean, I had like the, the Rothko one, I got right up in it and just like 
if if you if you have a chance to to do it again, like see a Roth go up close, squat down. It changes the experience. Interesting. So you're kind of looking up at it. Well, not that you're looking up, but you're getting like the bottom corner. Yeah. 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 Instead yeah. of just like what's at height, it's it kind of like think of how like a what six year old would see the see the, okay. the picture from. Okay. And and the way that he paints is usually like there's sometimes like the like kind of uh, colors on the bottom, the colors on the top, and then one big color field in the middle, and kind of like look like little puppy clouds around the corners or whatever. Um, that changes the experience. Hmm. What was your reaction or what was your experience seeing one in person for the first time relative to seeing them in books? Was it a different reaction? Was it, was it more, I mean, I'm not going to even put a word on it. Was it different? It was different. Um, mostly because maybe after I saw this one, I found the title and then I searched for it online. Mm -hmm. And then I was like comparing the color of like the, the digital version I've seen online versus the one that I'm standing in. Oh, wow. Standing in front of. How close was it? Not close at all. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, it was just the color was darker in the museum than like the online one was like brightened. Hmm. And I've heard that that's a problem with a lot of his work that for the books, they get brightened. Because we want to see more vibrancy in the work, maybe? Probably. Yeah. And I don't think he would like that at all. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Um, I mean, being such a such a purposeful colorist, if I can use that word, yeah. I, I would imagine that would be, he would take offense to that. Well, I mean, he took offense to how museums hung the lights and demanded that like the lights be changed or you need this bulb or the lights have to be at this certain angle or. Are, are there bodies of work that you've done that you feel that connection to color? Or that, that that color is that important for you in the work? Um, project I started on this year, like two weeks ago. It's all about color. Hmm. Well, I guess black and white is also color, but but it's all just about color and fields of color. Are any of the pieces up yet? Nope. Bastard. They will be. I'm. <laughs> yeah. So. Actually, no, that's not true. I I have. I did put something on Instagram months ago, I think. Hmm. I really love how the B-sides play against, at least the, the ones that you've shared on Instagram, how the B-sides play against the behind glass work. They, they really do feel like they could be, they could be hung in the same show and complement each other really well. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah. I'm, that's why I, at first I was like struggling if they were, part of b-side or not but mm -hmm. i think now they're they're on their own you seem to be kind of over black and white for the time being is that conscious uh i think i just got so wrapped up in this like the these b-side images that the like the architecture stuff and some of the black and white has kind of slipped to the side but mm -hmm. um, do you still shoot and and process in black and white you just don't post them or, or are you are you actively just kind of taking a break from it uh, I guess I had actively been taking a break from it, yeah. but I know at the end of the year and the start of the year, I started, both were started with black and white. So there, there'll be more coming. Actually, I think my next set of images, uh, uh, nope, 
thought I had some. It's it's interesting, I, and this is something that you've done for a long time, and I, I I really like this about your work and your approach to the work is you do think in, you do think in sets of images, both in in how you present them on your site, and I'm assuming how you present them in social media. And I was talking to Sean Tucker, well, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and we were talking about social media. And one of the things that we've talked about before is how it's it's really geared toward looking at a single image. And it's difficult to see a series or a sequence unless they're presented as you know multiple images per post. But it's difficult to see someone's work that you follow or that you're interested in as a sequence or anything other than that one single image that gets posted, does that bother you? Do you even think about it? Um, I think it bothered me for a little while, but I, uh, basically for the last maybe six months, if you would look at my, you could probably look at my Instagram page and then you'd probably notice that, there's sets of three or four images that are related. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's another, there's another three or four that are then related to each other. There's always where the change happens. There's the, those two images in two different sets, but they have something related. Right. Right. And so there's a transitional segue. Yeah. I can see that. And is that intentional? That segue? It's gotta be. Yeah. It's, it's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reordering them in Lightroom or in if I printed them out there, I did it that way. But then in December, I realized that the way that they're ordered on Lightroom or when I have them as prints, it's reversed when I share them on Instagram. <laughs> Whoops. That's Does it affect how you experience them? Like if you, if you scroll through, do you, do you consciously see that and go, ah, or does it matter to you? As long as they're in order... Even if it's reverse order, they're still sequenced in 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 the proper way, effectively. There was a, there was a day where I was sitting, and I was like looking at Instagram, going, "I could just delete the last four months of photos, <laughs> and then reshare them in the proper sequence." Can I tell you, I could so see you doing that. <laughs> and then I just decided that's Instagram's problem with how the system works, not mine. Right. Not my problem. Right. See, I think you could, I, I mean, I think you could, you could workshop how you sequence images because you do put so much intent and so much sort of thought into how, or it seems that way. And please, you know, tell me I'm full of shit if I am, but it, <laughs> or just if you want to, um, it seems like you really do care how we experience your work as viewers. When I, when, when I started trying to make that, well, I'm just a stupid zine mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that really got me thinking about like sequencing. And then like, just, I don't know, maybe sometime last year it was like so many people were trying to make like books and there was like articles about sequencing and bodies of work and how things look, how some images work better, tell a story. But if you change them, the story change. And it really got me thinking about rather than me just going, okay, well, I'm going to share these 20 photos in this order because that's the order I took them. Mm-hmm. It was easy. But then I guess it, I started as an exercise of like trying to find l- images that were related. I don't know if I, uh, I 
can't really explain the sequencing, but... But does it affect how you experience your own work? I mean, if you look at it chronologically and then you reorder it into either how you experience those places or how you experience how they're related, that's got to affect how you see your own work because it, I know it affects how we see your work. Speaking for myself, I know it affects how I see your work. I, I guess it does for a given time, but I mean, like I've gone back to some of the images before and even when I was updating the website uh, yesterday, like when I went through the recontextualized images, like the ones that have been on that page since what, two years ago, I was like, no, I got to move that one. And so they all shifted around a little bit. Some of them I actually deleted and took out of the project because I just like, it doesn't fit anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, for me, it does change. And it, I guess it doesn't bother me until it bothers me. And then it's like, okay, I have to delete this one or it, this color needs to move up to here or something like that. With the way, okay, let me ask you this. And let's stay on recontextualize for a second because that's what I'm looking at right now. Do you still see this as an ongoing project or is this kind of a snapshot of where this project is right now? And if, if you add to it, it then becomes, I mean, for lack of a better word, recontextualize volume two. Or is it is it just an ever growing, ever changing sort of fluid type of project? Um, I do have a goal for the project. I'm just counting the image ten. 11, and your 12, your goal is to count to ten. <laughs> so I'm at forty two, so eighty four images in this gallery. Mm-hmm. My goal is my goal is ninety nine. Why ninety nine? That was the original goal. For some reason. Interesting. So this, this have, you've been working toward this, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, but 99 has always been. What happens when you get to the goal? Is it a, is it a book? Is it a, does it get removed from the site altogether because it's done? Because That actually, wouldn't surprise was, me either. <laughs> if you just went, all right, this is done. It's out. You had your chance. Actually, it had to do with, um, it actually had a mathematical thing to do with it that the idea I had for this was once I hit 99, I'd start selling prints of these, but the prints had to be purchased in triptychs. Interesting. Do we get to choose which three images or do you curate which three images go together? No, no. You, you could choose your three images. And so out of that 99, the chances of someone having the same three as you are like astronomical. Sure. They're really high. And that's the only reason I had it as 99. Would you restrict in some way? Like if I happen to choose the same three images as someone else, would it come up saying, nope, that combination has already been purchased. Please select, you know, please swap one of the images. Or would you allow in, in those astronomical cases, would you allow duplicates? I would, part of me would say I wouldn't allow the duplicate. I kind of love that. And then the other part of me that said, you're throwing money away. Right. But I kind of love that, that, that they exist, the combinations, ex- there's one combination of, th- that you can have. And, and if you choose that combination that somebody else already selected, select again. I kind of love that. Like, or, or like, yeah. Yeah, I like that too. I just have to get over the whole like, ooh, you're throwing money away. Right. Like, well, I'm not making money for the most part. So. Right. Yeah. So you, it, it's, it becomes even more valuable when it's not there. I do have the one 
one project that I am that I started this um, this year about just about color. When I basically what I'm doing is I'm making prints of some photos, and then I'm using a zoom lens and in some cases a magnifying glass and focusing on really individual parts of the entire image. So I make this three inch corner of of a print gets then made into like I'm doing them just A4 size, right. like letter letter size. Yeah. So that little three inch corner now gets printed as a new letter oh, size image. That's so good. And then that letter size image no. that I just made from this one tiny corner, no. it can be made into a new image. Oh, that's so good. I'll, I'll have to send you the diagram of when I came up with this idea. <laughs> I'm sure it's like a madman scrawling his his you know manifesto or something. Well, it's just a doodle of how many times like one I think I can do like an image that has like really strong colors. Right. I think I could do it do that process maybe 16 times oh, wow. before I end up with just white. Wow. Maybe Maybe that's the final have you limit. Th- I was going to say, have you thought about doing that as a series? Like that's, you can, you can buy this entire, you know, progression of original image through the 16 iterations to white. And that's, that's what you purchase. The idea that I have is as soon as I make this new image, the old one gets destroyed. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I destroy the print and then I delete the the file. So you're only left with that new this new name. that new scan for lack of a better word. Wow. Wow, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, I like that a lot. Have you done a full progression, a full 16 image progression yet? I I would love to see that. No, I haven't. I've done four or five images. I've done the the first the first bit. Mm-hmm. I haven't printed them. I ran out of ink on the other day, so but I'm going to be printing those on Monday. Yeah, Monday. I have all of Monday off. Yeah. What a great idea. I love that idea. I love that. So you're, it's, you're at the same time zooming in and zooming back. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. So this little corner that's got zoomed out then becomes big. And then that big one, zoom in in a little part of it. And then it becomes something, something new. At what point, how many in, I mean, I guess it, it obviously depends on the photograph, but I wonder if there's an average of how many iterations in before you complete the, the source image is unrecognizable anymore. Like you, you you couldn't tell what the original image was. It's got to happen pretty quickly. I think I estimated three mm-hmm. would be the average word. If I laid out this new image and then had like four or five and asked you to pick which, which one does this belong to? I don't think you could. Interesting. I think three because I mean, you're looking at a maybe a three-inch square right. that gets blown up, and that three-inch square, you're looking at a three-inch square inside of that three-inch square. That's such a great idea. Love it. Subscribe to get every in-between, every iteration, every process-driven, as well as special one-off conversations all in one feed. Just search for Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app. And just as a reminder, if you do subscribe to any of those individual show feeds, they will be going away on April 1st. So please do subscribe to everything so you don't miss anything. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sedoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. Or on my website at JeffreySedoris.com. 
connect with Christopher on Instagram at Christopher.Matheson. That's K-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R dot M-A-T-H-E-S-O-N. Or on Twitter at Chris Matheson. Or by visiting his website at ChrisMatheson.com. And if you haven't listened to the episode of Process Driven I did with Christopher a while back, you can find that in your favorite podcast app. It's a terrific conversation. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate you being here. I'll talk to you on the next one.